0: This afternoon we have a fantastic guest, somebody who I've wanted to do an event with for absolutely ages um, and who many of you will know. Um, Rachel Joyce is the author of the Sunday Times and international bestseller, The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry, um, the love song of Miss Queenie Hennessy. Um, Harold Fry has been translated into more languages than I knew existed, 34. Um, There you go. Um, And she's also done over 30 original afternoon plays for Radio 4. Um, The novel that we're going to be talking about today Um, is The Music Shop, which you'll notice I have dressed entirely in blue to match the cover of. That's how much effort I make. Um, If only everybody at Cheltenham made that much effort. Um, Anyway, it's her fourth novel, um, and it follows record shop owner Frank, who has a talent for music therapy. He's got this big chaotic stack of vinyl, and from it he can find the very song... um, to cure his customers of their emotional woes. Not necessarily the song they might want, um, but the song that they will need. Um, And we'll see today if we can find the perfect wine um, to match this fantastic novel. So please welcome Rachel Joyce. You didn't want to use the stairs, did you, Rachel? I
1: didn't, because I've got my, my best swingy trousers on, and I thought I might, I might fly down.
0: Be careful on this. We've got, we've got an additional stage up here, which you can't see, which is perilously small, and we might fall off of at any time. It's about the size of a hanky. So anyway, there you go. Um, so let's talk about the music shop. It's... Well, I mean, I love all your novels, but this one I found particularly enjoyable because I could listen to music as I was reading it. There's a, there's yes. a playlist.
1: There's a Spotify playlist, which I always forget to mention. So thank you. So you right go. at the beginning of the book, uh, there is a very clever little reference to the, the Spotify link. And as you read it, you can listen to all the music that Frank prescribes for his customers.
0: Yep. And it's great, and there was a lot on there that I'd never heard of. I'm actually one of the least musical people um, that that I know, and I'm always making huge gaffes um, about it and getting things wrong. Um, I was sat next to Patty Smith um, once at a dinner, and she was was very nice, and I said to her, I really loved your cover version of Because the Night Belongs to Lovers. (laughs) Um, And she said, it's my song. And I said, you really made it your own. You really (laughs) did make it your own. And she said, no, it's my song. And I went, no, it really... Was great, and after all, she said to me, uh, who, who? She was very sweet. She said, Who do you think I am? Mm-hmm. And I said, I, I thought you were just some old hippie, you know. Oh, oh, and yeah. she said, No, she said, I'm some old punk.
2: Excellent. She was yeah. fabulous, yeah,
0: yeah, um, and, and a wonderful lady. Anyway. So, I'm always made. So, for me, actually, it was a real learning experience. I really mm-hmm. did have to listen to quite a lot of the tracks in order to yeah, get I a lot yeah. of the references, yeah. And yeah. um, anyway, so, so tell us um, about. The music shop. Where is it? First of all, it's on Unity Street. But I don't think you ever name the town. No,
1: I very deliberately don't name the town. um, So I'm very deliberately not going to name the town. Um, But it's—it's. I wanted it to be a shop, the kind of shop. Does Does anyone remember Mr. Ben? Mr. Ben, you know the idea of a shop that you will go, and you will kind of go on a journey, but also a shop where the owner really gets you. Yeah. He kind of knows better than you do what you need. Yep. So very early on in, in the book, there's a man who comes into the, into the shop who's a bit sort of, I mean, he's very ordinary, a bit broken, uh, and Frank doesn't really quite know why. But his gift is that he listens to people.
0: Frank's gift. Yes, Frank's
1: yes. gift. And he, he listens to this man who says he really wants Chopin. He says, I only, I only buy Chopin. And Frank listens to this man and he thinks, mm, what you need today is Aretha Franklin. And so he, he takes this man to the booth at the back of the shop, and because it's fiction, we can go into the booth with a man and we can sort of find out what it feels like to listen to Aretha. And also what it is that he kind of brought in that was so hard for him. Yeah. So that, that's kind of the idea. But it really came from um, a shop in Cheltenham. The, uh, which you probably will remember. Um, uh, it, we first discovered it about... Uh, my husband and I moved out of London about 14 years ago now. And um, uh, we, we got here and my husband discovered very quickly that he couldn't sleep at night. I think it was just so lovely and quiet, uh, you know, we just so he, he kind of went, we tried everything that you do. We tried chamomile and we tried, you know, all, all the things that you might try and none of it worked.
0: Valium. Yeah,
1: that too. <laughs> and then um, we were in Cheltenham and Paul, we went into a, um, this music shop and Paul said to the owner, I don't know quite why, because I don't remember the owner asking any of us if we could sleep, but anyway, Paul said that he couldn't sleep. And the owner said, I've got just the thing. And he brought out a CD. And at that point, about five or six other people in the shop said, oh, we can't sleep at night either. <laughs> so um, it was a very good sales day in, in Cheltenham that day. And uh, the music worked.
0: And he fell asleep.
1: It made him sleep.
0: That's magical. What was yeah. the shop
1: called? It was called Sounds Good. I don't know if anyone remembers. I think it was called Sounds Good. Um, Is it still there that 's the sad thing no it 's not mm. it 's not so when I started writing the book, I went back uh, to kind of see the owner because we began quite a relationship with this man, and, he, and uh, we kind of went through lots of difficulty. he took us on a bit of a journey through music. Did you and know
0: much about music at that well, point? I knew,
1: I knew about classical music, mm. and also my dad was a jazz drummer when I was a child, so we had quite a lot of jazz playing. Mm. Uh, my mum was an English teacher, so we also had um, somebody reading canter- the Chaucer's Canterbury Tales in Old English. Right. Which wasn't quite so good at for home. dancing to at home. Yes, oh, that's yes. heavy. Yes. Yeah.
0: That's for the memoir. Yeah, yeah. Um, so and and so so there was so there was, so there was, mu- was, there was always music. music
1: around, always always music, um, and I really love music. But my real, I am not a musician, and uh, I, yeah, I can't play, I can't read music, and I I mean I can't I can't talk about it in a technical way. Mm. But I thought with the book, I really wanted to write about music in a really personal kind of electric, visceral kind of way. Yeah. But I also wanted to make sure that it was a book that was about every kind of music and that it would be a book that's about music for people who don't necessarily think they know a lot about music.
0: People like me, in fact. Exactly, there you go. And each chapter um, has a kind of musical pun title. The the structure is side A, side B. I've taken my glasses off, by the way, because they're filthy. It's like I've got cataracts. I, I, I now, You're now a lovely Blar, that's fine. Um, the, the structure is side A, side B, side C and side D, but we go yeah. backwards and forwards in time. We do. Um, so the present day story is Frank in his yes. music shop. Yes. Um, and then w- what's the story in the past?
1: The, the, well, the, the, because Frank is, as I said, this sort of healer, He he's a man with a gift for helping people find what they need. But, of course, I don't know whether it's the the case with most healers, but I think it's interesting with healers when they have to help themselves. Mm. Uh, He's completely unable to accept any sort of help and any sort of healing that might help with a very, very kind of old, old wound that he's carrying, which is really to do with his past. So um, the book falls mostly in 1988, which is the, uh, the, the in this record shop. But in between that are scenes with Frank a li- as a little boy and his mother, who's a kind of... Uh, she's a
0: great character. She's a,
1: she's a kind of extraordinary woman who knows everything about music, but not much about looking after little boys, p- mm. possibly. So it's, it's sort of... Th- those two stories run run parallel, and gradually you begin to piece together why Frank is the man he is.
0: Now, we're not going to give away any spoilers about it, um, about what that, what that secret past is, um, or indeed about the events that... In, and we can talk about the beginning of the events that intrude into the present, but not, <clears throat> not reveal what they no. are. No. Um, so Frank is in his record shop on Unity Street, yeah. Um, in this town that you don't name, but it has yeah. a. I was thinking it was York and then I thought it was Durham. I know you're not going to tell me, but I will no. keep guessing. Okay. Um, and, the, and it's got a cathedral and it's got a kind of a lake and it smells sometimes of cheese and onion.
1: Yes, yeah, there's a factory with, uh, that makes crisps. Yeah. So there is often a smell. If the wind is blowing in the wrong direction... Then it gets quite pungent. G- yes. None
0: of the wines that you're about to taste have anything to do with cheese and onion. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be thrilled to know, or maybe disappointed to know. Um, so it's there, and so Unity Street... Um, tell us who else is on Unity Street. So he's not alone, Yeah, Frank. No,
1: Frank is not alone. He's on this little run-down street, which is really a kind of street where a lot of people who might otherwise seem a little bit sort of abandoned and out on their own have all found that they have a home. And uh, he's in a... Um, a parade of five shops. Uh, Frank's music shop is in the middle, but next door to him, he has... There's a tattoo salon run by a quite foul-mouthed kind of punk. And I really like writing foul-mouthed women because I think I don't do swearing terribly well. (laughs) So it's really nice to write women who who do it really, really well. Uh, And then there's... There are two... There's a funeral directors run by two old brothers who've never married and who are sometimes seen holding hands.
0: They were a bit Gilbert and George for me. They're, that's yeah, how yeah, I sort yeah. of no, visualised them. They are,
1: yeah, yeah, they are. And then there's a religious artefacts shop run by a man who um, only drinks pineapple juice, which, again, is no good to you at all today. But, um, you know, that's... That's what he has to drink.
0: Because he was an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah. And he was... He, he, Father Anthony? Yes, Father Anthony. He was, he was cured of his problem He with was music. cured
1: by... Well, Frank cured him of his problem through jazz. I think probably jazz would cure a lot of things, actually. But... um Yes, yeah. so, so there's little, this little group of shops, which I hope we come to love, but very quickly we realize that uh, there is a huge pressure from a very big developer to kind of come in and knock down the whole lot, as was happening a lot in the 80s. Yeah. And it's really, you know, can these shops hold together, can these shops where hardly anybody really goes anymore, but we yeah. really need these shops. Yeah. Um, can they survive?
0: Yes, it's kind of... I mean, it's a love letter to all those independent shops, to really, Indies, isn't it? Yeah, yeah to Indies. It's, um, yeah. It's, it's the record shops, it's the bookshops, shops, it's the place where it people is. know you enough yes. to know what you want. And I'm very interested in the difference between what you want and what you need. Yes. Um, and I think that's one of the brilliant tensions in the book, yeah. um, because... You know, people. You know, for example, Maud. Yes. Um, what, what what is the music that Frank recommends for Maud? Well,
1: that was the little bit I was going to read, oh, actually. Yes, read because it. he does he does choose something for her that is not at all what she would want. So, is that my cue? Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. your cue. Okay. Excellent. Uh, so y- yes, I thought I would just read you a little bit about Maud the tattooist, uh, whose shop is next door to Frank. Frank's name was written in Maud's heart, or more truthfully, it was tattooed above her right breast, just inside her bra strap. Sometimes when she spoke to him, or while she listened, she placed her hand where the tattoo lay, and it was like sending a message in code. Don't get her wrong, Maud knew that Frank didn't love her. The problem was that he had a kind of empathy for everyone. There seemed to be no end to the amount of bad news the man could absorb. His shop was permanently occupied by people who would otherwise be roaming the streets or weeping in bedsits. And women were the worst. Anorexic girls, unmarried mothers, battered wives. Frank was so busy loving other people, he had no room to accommodate the fact that someone might turn round one day and love him straight back. Or maybe he just didn't want to. She thought that sometimes. It had happened, Maud's love, the first time Frank found her a record. Try this, he'd said. Try what? she'd replied. Go on, sit in there, put on the headphones. There's something I want you to hear. She said, but that's an old wardrobe, Frank. I'm not sitting in there. Here she was wrong, apparently. It was a new listening booth. Yes, this horrible wardrobe with small, jewelly birds in the door now housed a velvet chair trimmed with little tassels and a headset so large it was like wearing a hat full of music. So she'd sat on the chair, just as Frank asked, she'd shut the door, and it was strange. It was the same as hiding when you were a kid. Only this time you weren't surrounded by your mum's dresses and your dad's suits and trying not to breathe in case they found you. It was like hiding inside a record. Time stopped. Tick, tick. I think you'll like this, Frank's voice had boomed from the other side of the door. Tick, tick, barber, a dargio for strings. She'd never even heard of the guy. Maud played deaf leopard, the louder the better. Anything to silence the voice inside her. Where is that girl? Fetch the belt. Why can't she be a good little girl? But Frank played her the record, and it was like walking through a magic door. It was so sad and so simple, it could break your heart, but it didn't. From the softest of beginnings, it built and built, as if it were climbing a set of stairs until the violins were practically screaming, and then it stopped. Nothing. Her heart had swooped to her mouth. When the music started again, she was in tears, like a switch had been flicked and her eyes were spouts. Because life goes on, the music told her, even when you think it can't. Yes, there is fear, there is real cruelty, not knowing what the hell, those things are there. But listen, because there is this too, this beauty, the human adventure is worth it after all. As she left that booth, the music was in her heart. The shop was just the same, the past was just the same, and now there was also this, this whatever it was, this truth. It was no less than a small miracle, and Frank had given her that. Was it okay? he'd asked afterwards. How could you say? How can you tell a man with eyes like chocolate drops that by sticking you for eight minutes in a cupboard, he has changed your life? he knelt at her feet, gazing at her from beneath that floppy fringe. Well, she assumed he was gazing. And smiling with his soft mouth. So here she was, all these years later. How many nights had she sat with him in England's glory as he told another story about a customer who needed his help? How many times had she fetched a takeaway and pushed open the door of his shop, pretending a date had not turned up? How many Christmases, New Year's, birthdays. One day they'd jack it all in, move out of the city. Real love was not a bolt out of the blue. It was not the playing of violins. It was like anything else. It was a habit of the heart. You got up every day and you put it on, same as your pants, your boots, and you kept treading the constant path.
3: (laughs) (laughs)
0: And the whole book is that beautiful. It is that full of. It is that full of feeling. Um, I was quite glad when I played some of the music and I had a, a reason to cry, oh. um, so that I could kind of then, you know, move on and be swept along with the happy bits of it too. Yes, I mean it is.
1: I did want to write a happy book. Um, in fact, when I started it the first time round, it was a terribly sad book, and everybody kept coming to a sort of sticky end. So I had to, uh, I thought, this just isn't right for now. I really have to address this. So I kind of really went back to try and find a a kind of positive book because I just felt, at the moment, I thought, I don't want to stick a book in the bookshops that makes everybody really depressed.
0: Mm. Yes.
1: I just (laughs) just thought, I need to feel hope.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you do. It's a very, very hopeful book. I mean, there's... Loads of sadness in it, but there is. There is well, yes. Lots I mean, you can't. You can't
1: really have. You know, in order to win yeah. happiness, you yeah. know, you have to have been through some stuff.
0: Yes, and it is hard one. And in the case of Maud, what I think is, is really interesting is that you, you you have three sentences about why she is the way she is in the entire book. Yeah. Um, you know, there's not kind of a, it's not a misery. You know, story. It's no, just, it's no, just. It's this just is what she hears in her head, yeah. and he replaces the sounds that the, that she hears, the voices that have h- hated her, yes. um, with music um, yeah. that she can love. And I think that that's a beautiful thing. Um, it's very, 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 very moving. And um, one of the uh, the bits when you were reading just saying you said you said tick, 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 and you were talking oh, yes. about the the sound of silence, and I wonder yes. if we could talk about that for a minute, because I've n- never really contemplated it, and it's something that Peg talks about, which is the, yeah. the idea that um, silence is, is what's happening when there isn't music, but the silence after music is different, right?
1: Yes, it's the, it's the idea that silent music sort of comes out of silence, and it goes back to silence, but the silence that you hear at the beginning of a piece of music is never the same as the silence at the end because you've gone through something on the way, so yes. it's kind of informed the silence. Um, but it's all—I mean, so—and also there are silences within music. It's sort of like—I th- I mean, for me, knowing nothing about music, it, it sort of feels like the punctuation. It yeah. feels like it kind of highlights things, or, or sometimes it makes you sort of because <gasps> when music stops sometimes and it's supposed to be going. Yeah. It can really I mean it can really take your breath away, can't it? And it, I, it can be very funny, it can be really scary. But all those things to explore those things in the book felt you know a real kind of bit of a gift really, mm. and just to lie on the floor listening to music wasn't a bad thing to have to do. To say,
0: did you lie on the floor because you, you you have that that's one of the instructions that Frank yes. had from Peg, which is yes. like lie on the floor you've got to
1: lie on the floor with your headphones on and you've just got to really listen, and that you know listening doesn't mean that you just you know load the dishwasher at the same time or you actually just stop and you listen and I think it's partly because I think we don't listen quite as well as we maybe could. And mm. I don't actually just mean about music. I think we have slightly lost the knack of just hearing what's going, what's really going on. Mm. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it felt... and Yeah, I mean, it was a lovely thing to do, but for me it was the only way to kind of find how I was going to write about music. Yeah. There was a stage when I was writing the book when... Um, I think you must get... When writers are writing, there are stages, aren't there, where it, everything goes wrong and then yeah, your body horrible. starts seizing up, yeah. you know, just to kind of can make things even worse. Yeah. So my back decided it would be a great idea to play up. And uh, there was one day where... I, I don't normally have that kind of problem, so I went to the doctor, and I was given a mix of... I think it was pretty much cocodamol and morphine. And Valium? And that, probably, probably that Valium. as well. And I came home and I took, I took it, and I was out for about three days. Good God. I, mean, I really was out. But I, I also took the opportunity to listen. It's a way, very good way to listen to Miles Davis. <laughs>
0: <laughs> as Miles Davis himself would uh, well, you recommend
1: it. <laughs> yes. So kind of blue kind of went in a whole new direction. Yeah. But, I mean, it, the, the opportunity... Just, I really recommend it. You don't, ha- you don't have to buy the book at all, but do go home and just listen to a piece of music with headphones on and don't do anything else.
0: And if you are going to lie on the floor, do let people know where you'll be lying. <laughs> um, otherwise, that's probably why your back went, from sort of treading on you as they came through the house. Um, so the, 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 there's Frank in his music shop and he's, you know, he's getting by um, mm. and then a, a woman falls to earth, one of your lovely punning titles. Yes. Tell us about Ilse.
1: Yes, yeah, so Ilse is, um, so Frank kind of, at the beginning of the book, it's clearly not, you know, he's kind of okay with how life is. He's made it work. He doesn't necessarily want it to change. Nobody is really particularly close mm. to him, but he, he's kind of safe like that. And then I wanted him to meet a woman who would just blow everything, you know, So I tried various ways of writing a scene where a woman, a very beautiful woman, walked into the shop and the effect that she would have on Frank. But every time I wrote it, it just didn't quite work. And then, one day, we were at home um, and somebody knocked on our door and said, do you know that there's a dead old lady outside your house? Really? I I said no, obviously, because I didn't know that. And um, we all ran out. And indeed, lying outside our house, and we live in a very, very quiet village, um, you know, it, it would take a lot to find it, and uh, there was not an old lady, a very young lady, lying like that outside our house, as if she had just dropped from the sky. Was she dead? Well, I don't think so. Uh, or maybe, think so. <laughs> if she was, I mean, did, did some check? miraculous healing. Yeah, yeah, So I was the first person down next to her and, um, and then you know when you kind of get... You, if you are, you are the person right there, you suddenly realise you've got to do something. yes And so I, um, I thought of my best casualty things, and I said, stay with me. <laughs> <laughs> and quite wisely, she kept her eyes closed. She remained unconscious. <laughs> Did she start laughing at that no, point? No, she didn't. You? She was completely out of it. Really? Completely, yes. But then, eventually, she did start to, to waken. I mean, I, I, I've got kind of various ideas about what happened, but she was definitely Diabetes unconscious. Diabetes or something? Yeah. I, I know, I th- I think I think
3: she, did she needed talk to you? a happened? little
1: tiny bit, but not very much. She was, she was very secretive. But what happened, really, was that helping this girl, I kind of made this connection with her. I mean, mm. I don't think I brought her back from the dead. I certainly don't think that. And I think maybe I pulled her a little bit out of it. She decided it would be OK to not be unconscious anymore. Right. Um, but the point was, I thought, that connection that I've made with this stranger is really good for Frank. That's how Ilse Brautman must enter this book. So one minute she's standing at the window, and then the next she's sort of flat on the pavement. And Frank has to go out. He has to pick her up. He has- so he has to connect.
0: Amazing. Of all the things in the novel that I thought might have come from real life, a woman dropping dead outside <laughs> the window was not high on my list. Well, left.
1: there you are, you see. That
0: is pretty incredible, and also quite a good gift for a novelist. Yes. I wish that had happened when I was finishing my book, something like that. <laughs> An ending would just happen outside my house. Um, we're going to be welcoming uh, Rebecca onto the stage in um, just a moment, and just to remind you that we, we'll be talking like, through all the wines, and you can give us comments, and then we'll have proper questions Um, at the end. So um, please welcome to the stage Rebecca Palmer from Corny and Barrow. Oh, she's doing the stairs as well. Well done, Rebecca. Aren't they lovely stairs to descend? I thought I was
2: going to lose my slipper.
0: (laughs) Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you. Um, So when we were talking about the process of shortlisting um, mm. wines for this novel. Um, sometimes there are wines in a novel or drinks in a novel that you can play with. You don't want to be obvious, um, but you know you can kind of take a, a tangent. But with this, there just aren't any. Well, if I'd
1: realised, I'd have popped
0: a <laughs> <in, but. laughs> um, but, um But which is great because it means that it's rather than being literal, it's yeah. properly literary. So it's you know it's a bit of a, more of a challenge for you. So where yeah. did you start?
2: Well. I mean, I have to say, when we were a year ago uh, here and we had Lionel Shriver with her book, The Mandibles, it was really, a, well, a walk in the park. I mean, she left so many signposts. Yes. You know, they were just guzzling alcohol left right and centre. You know, it was yeah. Viognier here, Chenin Blanc there, and blah, blah, blah. But this one was, was quite tricky, and I went through a process of thinking, oh, what am I going to do? You know, it's difficult to talk about wine to people because I think... You know, There's that risk of sounding sort of pretentious if you you know, uh, talk about wine and you feel that it's sort of emotional, this wine, or it's sort of very profound and all this sort of stuff, and you risk alienating people who will just you know, say you're a wino and then dismiss you, roll their eyes or whatever. I do hope I can't see any of you rolling your eyes now. Um, That's,
0: if they're rolling their eyes, it's because they drank all the samples. Yeah.
2: <laughs> that person in the back, right? <laughs> yeah, or at the back. So... I really had to go back to basics. I did have a Frank moment right. uh, where you know, there's this bit. I just had to read it out, actually, because I loved it. It said uh, you know, when he's trying to, uh, to talk to Ilse about, um, about music and he just doesn't know what to do, he's got an attack of the nerves and so he summons all, the, all his friends um, from Unity Street And they ask him what he's going to do. And so he says, "Um, well, I could learn something like the piano and then I could play for her. Um, And then he talks about writing a poem. And then Father Anthony says, you listened to me and then you found me jazz. You didn't tell me everything there was to know. You just listened to me and then you got up and found the record I needed. She said she wants you to talk to her about music. So tell her what you hear when you listen. So I had to think about that and it ended up being about, well, a combination of, of the moods and themes I found in the book mm. um, and about Ilse Brauchman, who I felt was such a strong, uh, such a strong personality. Uh, and then, and then um, the actual first uh, wine I chose was more about the sense, the feeling that started the book off, mm. this sense of sort of general, you know, Everything's kind of okay, it's quite a gentle start, just enough to draw you in.
0: Yeah. So that's
2: how I sort of ended up...
0: Coming up with your short list. Yeah. It's a very good short list. So shall we, shall we start, do you think, with number one? Shall we? Do you want to talk us through it?
2: Do you think we should have a little little yeah. wine, ta- wine tasting yeah. class yes. first? let's do it, let's we'll do digress. it. Let's do a wine
0: tasting class.
2: Uh, I expect all of you are wine aficionados, so you don't need me to talk to you about wrist action. So I'd like to see it...
0: Wrist action. So
2: you need to hold your glass with one finger, ideally underneath the the bottom of the glass, so that it's quite stable, and then you have an even wrist.
0: I think a bit looser in the wrist. Looser
1: in the wrist. Yeah. You have to. The
2: way to do it is to keep your elbow jammed into your 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 hip, and then let the let the wrist. Yeah, yeah. And the reason you're doing this is to allow oxygen, more oxygen, to come into contact with the wine inside the glass, so increasing the surface area. So it's not just you know, something pretentious that you do because you're a wino. Um, but by doing that, you release the aromas. So when you do this, you'll get more of a sense of what the wine actually is in the glass.
0: And can I just say, I mean, this is, a, this, is, this is a white wine which has been sitting out now for... For some time. A, a, ...for a while, and people might be thinking, oh, it's not cold enough, you know? But actually, it, it's, it's a, a good temperature.
2: Yeah, it is. Well, I don't know. I haven't tried it.
0: I mean, it might be a little bit actually a little tiny, tiny fraction, war for us, but I, I, I think that you. I think that there's just a general thing with people where, with white wine where they sort of take it straight from the fridge.
2: Absolutely, and, and it, they shouldn't. And they shouldn't. You shouldn't do that because when a wine is too cold, you can't. Um, you know, it just kind of clamps up a bit, like you know, if you go out on a winter's day with a t-shirt on, you know, you're just going to feel instantly, you know, not like really doing very much. Um, I wondered where you were going down. with that. I know, I did wonder where I, really I was did. going with that myself, yeah. actually, for a moment.
0: <laughs> I mean, I really did, I did. my mind went somewhere else. Um, but what, what I'd like, m- anyway. and I
2: think the thing, the reverse is true, actually, yes. um, for red wines. A lot of the time, people drink them at room temperature, but a lot of the time, that's just too warm, and if a yeah. wine gets too warmed up, if red wine or white wine gets too warmed up, then you, you sort of lose... It gets baggy. It, gets, it does get baggy, doesn't baggy. it? Baggy. <laughs> Anyway, what I'd like you to do, swirl as you did before, and then clamp your hand over the top so that the top is entirely covered. And just leave it there for a bit because what's going to happen is that the aromas from the wine will collect above the surface of the wine. Now I'd like you to just lift your hand off and jam your nose in. I don't mean like be delicate about it. Just bung it in. And you'll get a lot more out of it that way. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly fine at times, particularly I find on a Monday night, to just get the wine. And Good, isn't it? It, yeah. it's quite likely that you know, it won't hit the side, so to speak.
0: Straight you know, down on a that Monday first, night.
2: That first Friday night glass of wine is fabulous. But you will get more out of it if you use this and, technique. And what
0: are, you, what are you smelling? What are you getting on the nose from this? People can feel free to shout out quinoa if they want or whatever it was.
2: Any quinoa going on? No. Um, I find it—it's a, cl- a classic white Burgundy. This wine, which is, is made from the Chardonnay grape from the Burgundy region, it's
0: so it's entirely Chardonnay.
2: It's entirely Chardonnay. Okay. Yeah, but it's got no—no um, no oak um, has been used to make this wine because no. a, a lot of white Burgundy is made in oak barrels, and that can give it a creaminess. It doesn't necessarily have to make it taste. Um, what people think of, of Chardonnay as being over-oaky, and many people actually say that they don't mm. like Chardonnay because they assume it's just going to be... But they think of Austra- they're thinking they of Australian
0: do. Chardonnay, aren't they, that's, mm. that, that was actually really rank with oak for yeah, quite a long time. Really? But now it's not.
2: It's now it's not.
0: No. Um, but this has had no oak at all. This has had no oak at all.
2: But what they do do is um, they make it very slowly and they use time, and they use the fact that it gets cold over winter, so it slows things down. Mm. And what results is a sort of creamy-textured wine with a really subtle flavour. And, you know, I I felt that this sort of matched the opening of the book. It was sort of gentle, and all the characters were unfolding. A little bit, I mean, if you had to find a, a music analogy, it was sort of like... Themes were being introduced, melodies were being introduced,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, and they were sort of starting to come out. And, and there was enough character to make you, you know, really want to have a second sip or a glass.
0: Should we, we, we have a? Should we have shall a? Sip? we have a second
2: mm. sip? Oh, Damien, you didn't bring this spittoon.
0: Oh, tragedy! <laughs> we'll have to swallow it.
3: Okay. <laughs>
0: um, Oh, it's so interesting because it's actually much, I find it, much fuller mm-hmm. um, to taste than to, to, to sniff. Because I, yeah. I was thinking I was going to get lemon, but it was going to be a bit more bracing than it was. And actually, mm. it's got quite a nice mouthfeel. What are you thinking?
3: I'm, yeah,
1: I'm not very good on describing what I'm tasting. But I know that what my mouth is doing is it's sort of feeling a bit longer around here.
0: Mm. Mm. A bit longer at the front. Yeah. Okay, I I'll go with that. <laughs> Creaminess,
2: the creaminess, creaminess of wine comes about from when the wine has been left to sit on what's called the, the lees, which are the wine ferments. The, the wine is created, as probably you all know, some you know, probably grandmother eggs, etc., etc. But um, the grapes are fermented by the action of yeast, and it turns it into wine—a kind of alchemic process, really. And at the end of it. Um, the dead yeast cells, which are called lees, um, if they're left in contact with the wine, they make it more creamy mm. um, in texture, and they give it a sort of a, a sort of gentleness, which you don't get if the wine is made quickly. A yep. bit like if you...
0: You're, you're never going to get it with Pinot Grigio.
2: You're never no, going to no. get it with a cheap Pinot Grigio. No. I mean, it, it's fine. Pinot Grigio is fine, but yeah. you're not going to get that same... Um, Creaminess and sort of gentleness on the palate.
0: Yeah, and I th- I, th- I think definitely for me this chimes certainly with the start and the end of the book. But it's mm. it's, like it's 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 mellow, but mm. it's not bland. No, no. Um, it's substantive. I'm definitely still tasting it now, even though you know I you know I've only had two, possibly three, maybe five sips, um, <laughs> and I can I can I can definitely still taste it. Um, yeah. And it actually, I mean, it tastes. It's expensive. It, 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 it's not a wine that I might have, I Naturally think, on a Monday. <laughs> I know, and in a natural <laughs> fact, it's a bit of a bargain. Um, yeah. Actually, I wonder how much people think it is. That's always such a fun game to, to play. Um, but before we do that, um, what are people thinking about this wine? Are you enjoying it? Yeah? Does anybody really love it? Want to talk about why they really love it? Or does anybody know it? Has anybody had a white burgundy before? Are they a white burgundy fan? Um, you, you there, yes. You're, you like it. I can barely see you because I haven't <laughs> got my glasses on. Um, I think the thing about when, when I saw that you'd shortlisted a white burgundy, I, I was a wee bit surprised because I do think a lot of people just think of burgundies being red. red. Maybe not in Cheltenham, but in other places they do. <laughs> they do just think of it as, mm-hmm. as being red and quite, you know, yeah. Pinot Noir, basically.
2: I also think there's the whole Chardonnay factor as I said earlier, I, I took this to some friends recently, I said, you know, who always profess to hate Chardonnay, and they luckily really liked it, and so, well, what's the great? what's the grape, Sauvignon hmm. Blanc, I said, well, no, it's Chardonnay, sort it, oh, it's a great hmm. surprise and almost relief uh, yeah. in a weird way to have discovered something that confounded their, well, limiting beliefs.
0: But I mean, that's very often the case, though, when people don't, you know, if you're, if you're looking at wines from France, you're, very, you're, not, you're not often going to get the grape variety on no, there. Yeah. People are very often, you know, misled. They'll see Chablis and they'll think Chablis is a, is a grape and, you know, be confused about it and feel mm-hmm. them then embarrassed or a bit awkward about asking for it. And I think people should never feel that way about wine. It's, it's like when people intimidate people about books where they don't yes. know an author, yes. you know, what or, do you, or you haven't read Chekhov, or you, or you don't listen mm. to Barber. It's yes. like, oh, for God's sake, no, I don't. Just you know, give me the book, or give me yeah. the wine. So I, I think this is you know, making it much more open to people.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, you know, it's like the man who only likes Chopin. Yeah. You yeah. know, you're, you're, you can be scared of music, you can be scared you can get of into a rut. literature, yeah. and then you get into a rut because yeah. you feel safe, at least. Yeah. And at least that is something you like, and that's the great challenge of wine: is that you know, there are so many different wines in the world. Yeah. How how do you work out what how you like? How do you choose? Mm-hmm. And you know, like music, which now has Spotify or whatever. You know, you like this, try that. Yeah. But we sort of all need, with wine, our own personal frank. Yeah, <laughs> <your personality. turn. laughs> or, yeah. Well, well,
0: if I uh, if I mm. said to you, I'm coming round to yours for dinner, can I bring some wine? What would you What would you like me to bring? What's your
1: uh, favourite tipple? I probably. Well, it depends what we're cooking. Um,
0: yeah. I mean, we don't yes. need to be too hung up well, on no, it. No, no, but let's
1: I mean, let, i There might be What my, are you I've cooking? i recently discovered, um, and I, I was. I've, I worry a bit that I'm a bit behind everybody else, but just recently I've discovered orange wine. Mm. Uh, and um, there's one... Actually, I had a bottle of it in London, and uh, we really, really loved it. And then I found that M&S in Cheltenham... There you go. Does a very, it's a Georgian orange wine. Yeah. wine. And it's really, wine. really delicious. Mm. And it, I really like it because it sort of tastes... This probably isn't a very good thing to say, but it sort of tastes dusty. Mm. In, it kind of, it sort of feels a bit rich and a little bit spicy, but not, like, sort of sharp. Mm. Uh, I mean, I really love that. And we do you d- drink it, d- it on its own or
0: do you do it
3: with food? I think
1: I said, do you drink it on your own? No, no not I do on your sometimes own. share. You can drink it on your own, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it just depends on... Um, <laughs> on how long it takes for us to cook, as to whether or not actually the, the two layer. goes
0: together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I, the, orange wine's quite divisive, and no, I, I have I quite mixed ver- feelings yes. about it. I know it. a lot I, of
1: people do, and I, I'm not sure that it's terribly cool, even, but I'm not pretending no, to be No, it cool. is. Oh, it's no. achingly it's, it's cool. It's horribly oh, well, trendy. Horrible. Oh, well.
0: Yeah, no, it is. I mean, for me, I think, at its worst, it tastes of body odour, like actual that, sweat, y- yeah. I think. Okay. And, and when it's good, it tastes of sort of that mm. I've never seen growing because they've grown somewhere too exotic. Yeah. You know, right, okay. In, I think. Yeah. So, With a but
2: butterfly hovering over Yeah, it.
0: exactly. Mm. Kind of in a, but in a very high mountain pass, not yeah. like in a meadow. Yep. We could yeah. get more pretentious. We probably could. Um, but I, I, think, I really do though, think that's what it tastes of. I mean,
2: if you'd been shut in a great big amphora buried underground for sort of six, nine months, you might have body odour.
0: Yes, that's true, which is what happens to I mean, orange wine. I'm not wine. saying you would have I wouldn't body, body odour, but
2: that's, what, that's how orange wine is made.
0: Yeah, it's buried underground. It's, it's buried like underground in a cheeses. great big
2: amphora jar.
0: Yeah, and which is where it gets a lot of mm. the colour. Anyway, yeah. so we, we, we all liked that. That was great. Let's go on to wine number two, which is also white and, and can be divisive. Let's have cool. a chat about it.
2: You said that, didn't you, Damien, when I picked Riesling. I did. That, you know, it's likely to s- split the room.
0: It w- well, I mean, I'd, I'd be surprised if everybody liked it, but, you know... So, so let's back to the swirling action. I want to see
2: some more vigorous swirling now.
0: Oh, this is good. They're
2: loosening up, I think. Yeah, they're (laughs) loosening up.
0: And I must say, also, we do give you very big glasses. It's not like some horrible meager thimble that you have to dip the edge of your tongue in. Remember to
2: and remember to keep your little finger underneath, underneath the platform. Good swirling. Okay, so
0: I'm going to go for a clamp down. See. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That really works.
0: We'll come back to them in a sec. We'll let them talk amongst themselves first. So
2: this wine is from.
0: So this is this is German.
2: This is Alsace. This is from Alsace.
0: Alsace. So it's almost German. It's
2: almost German. But so a friend of mine. Heard this book read, read on Radio 4, right? Was it Radio 4? Oh, yes, yes. Yes. And so I said, oh, no, I don't know what to choose. I don't know what to choose, but I want to dedicate a wine to Ilse Brauchmann." And she said, oh, well, she's got to be German Riesling. Come on. She's, you know... Because Riesling has very um, high acidity, natural acidity mm. in the grape, and it makes a wine quite upright, quite, you know, if, if you like... Um, uh, a really tart russet apple, or if you occasionally might be found, you know, sucking a lemon. Oh, <laughs> gone a bit far. <laughs> <laughs> this is for you. And this this acidity, for me, this uprightness, this sort of firmness, really personified Ilse Brouwerman. If I As had, had to find a great a great yeah. variety,
3: yeah. but.
2: The problem, or, or perhaps the reason why i didn 't want it to be a German reasoning is that German reasonings can actually well they 're very different in style, but many of them can be quite delicate, low alcohol quite sort of yeah, like um, more about the, the sugar yeah. and, and but quite too delicate and there was something really strong about yeah. Ilse yeah, really a strong actor. Uh, you know and so you 've got you know beautiful bone structure and you know that sort of poise. But there's softness, there's vulnerability, there's curve to her somehow in her character, and so for me, you had to be something that was, you know, had some strength.
0: Should we, should we have a sip? Let's have a a sip. Mm. I wish I could see their faces better. I bet some people hate that. Is anybody wincing? Has anybody spat it on their (laughs) neighbour? You're not, you're not loving it. No. You're lo- no. She's like... But why? Why don't you like it? Too many um, memories of German wine or men in the 80s. I wasn't yeah. sure what you said. <laughs> wine in the 80s. Well, I mean, it is, it is the cursed blue nun, isn't it? I mean, this is the, yeah. the, the great tragedy of Riesling is that it's tarred with, you know, tarred with a Yeah, but that's a Sorry,
2: that's Muller Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It's
2: not even riesling. I
0: know, I know, but people think that yeah. that it is. And yeah, you know. But I mean, I I think the interesting thing about riesling is, is that it goes from bone dry yeah. to unbelievably sweet. Yeah, yes. yeah it does. Yeah. 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 So, and this is sort of. I mean, it's obviously at the drier it's, end. Yeah,
2: it's, it's this is this is off dry. We'll
0: let them talk about it for yeah. um, that.
2: Yeah. yeah, this is off dry, so it's got a little bit of sugar in because if you have yes. a bone bone yeah. dry riesling, it's got so much acidity, it literally would be like um, eating a lemon. Yeah, or, you know, or like a fino,
0: super fino sherry even. Y- even yes. wash than that. No, it's, it's tartar than that. But it's, does anybody love it? I'd like to know if, any, if anybody really got off on that and really enjoyed it. Well, did anybody like it more than the first one? Yeah. Yes? Yes, you did. You did, yeah. Because of that kind of bite that it has. Mm. Yeah.
3: It's, it's a very, it's very refreshing.
0: refreshing. There you go. <laughs> it is. It's very refreshing. And also, it can, it can age forever. forever. I mean, every now and then, bottles of Riesling will turn mm. up that are 100, 150 years old, yeah. and you can open them, and they're actually still very drinkable. Yeah. And does anybody get the, 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 the very distinct <laughs> note that, that's associated? With recent, is anybody picking up on that? that you know that kind of petulantly, slightly keroseney, you know,
2: y yeah. Petrol. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. So slightly like you're on a plane that's been delayed and they're refuelling it, and it's like <laughs> they're refuelling my plane with wine from the Alsace.
1: <laughs> Go that's faster. Exact, it's exactly what's happening.
0: Do you yeah. do you like it?
1: I do actually, because it's got do a bit it? of. A, I'd like that bite at the end.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's great. Uh, I, I'm is, a fan, but people yeah. people very it, divisive.
2: I think this is a fantastic food with wine. Yeah. Would,
1: yes, what would you, so what would you really have with So,
2: this? I mean, actually, it will go brilliantly with... very good with, with Asian with, food. Yes. Brilliantly with Asian food. Really because with Asian with, food. with Asian food, you know, you've got so much spice that you need something that has a little bit of sugar but also acidity. Otherwise, I mean, anybody tried drinking a really sort of bland um, wine, like a Pinot Grigio with... with with anything really, or well, with a curry, it's yeah. dead. You no. know, it just tastes like buttery It's This, this is
0: very, very good with like mm-hmm. a, a spicy soup um, or you know, you know, like a laksa or something. Because yeah. it's actually got enough personality to stand up to really spicy food.
2: Shall I tell you what else it's great with? Spicy food? Scrambled eggs. Scrambled eggs yeah. It? Really? It's fantastic with scrambled eggs. I just, and why? No, why? it's amazing. <laughs>
0: You just, that's what you have at your house on a I, Saturday morning. I,
2: I had that this morning, mm-hmm. yeah, before I set <laughs> off at 8.30. <8:30.
0: laughs> okay. Um, so, um, we're going to move on to our third wine now, which is, um, which is our only, only red. Um, and I do, I do, I have to say, I think that wine, without giving too much away about the novel and, and Eosa's character, oh, yeah. I do think it's very representative of her character, it's don't brilliant you?
1: brilliant It's completely brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, really, really well chosen. So, wine Chosed number three...
0: More swirling if more you've, swirling if you've, if you've got your wine if there's any left, be careful with your swirling this one will stain if you <laughs> just do you know i haven't tried this one I, have you not? I think maybe years ago we tried it i haven't tried it for years so this
2: is, this is just a very individual you love state. It. I, I I really love it I mean. It's been open in the glass a little bit, so it's, it's actually gone mellow the way I want it to be,
0: yeah. but. <laughs> they're,
3: all, they're, all,
0: they're all like swirling like mad now. Yeah, like,
3: are they swirling?
0: Right. 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 And cover it up. Cover it up, and in you go. Oh, it's so strong. <laughs> 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 it's so big.
3: So, I think you've got to have a sip,
2: because otherwise what I say won't make any sense. (laughs) Mm. So, this wine, for me, was about soul, given that this comes...
0: So, sorry, just before you talk about... So, this is... Tell us what we're drinking. So, this is a Malbec.
2: This is a Malbec from... from Argentina. From Argentina. Um, Malbec is the grape. From a very small uh, grower who grows up the mountain. And should I talk about the wine? Yeah. Okay. So, a few years ago, uh, there was an Italian winemaker who thought that um, Argentina had enormous potential. And this was before everybody was obviously drinking... Malbec from Sainsbury's or whatever it was, back in the sort of early 90s, late 80s, I suppose, oh, around the same time. Yeah, yeah. As the book is set? And he had made wine in Italy, but he wanted a, a bit of a challenge and ended up in Argentina. And he went for a walk one day. He was up in the hills and came across this really dilapidated vineyard and there were just loads of brambles and weeds. And he he saw these vines and you know they were they were just sort of all bent over and and kind of, you know, literally some of them were lying on the ground and they were all gnarly and, you know, these, these vines, they looked like people. I mean, little old women and men, like 80, 90 years old. And he saw, because these vines were planted direct on their roots, which you can't do anymore. Nobody does it um, mm. for various reasons. And and so he knew that they were vines from, you know, the early 1900s. and. And he thought, oh my gosh, what have I come on, uh, come uh, found here, what have I come upon? And it was actually, uh, there were grapes on the vines and he tasted them and, and he just bought this vineyard there and then, even without talking to the, the investor that he got interested in this, this idea of this project. Um, and then they started making wine, they rehabilitated the vineyard, they lifted up all these little gnarly old vines that were all broken. And they started making this wine, and it was just amazing. And it was only one bunch of grapes every few vines. It takes about three vines to make a you know make a bottle, whereas three
0: vines to make one three bottle. Three vines
2: to make one bottle, and normally you get you know at least you know a bottle, two bottles from a vine. Yeah. Um, depends on the grape variety, but this was amazing, so very, very low yielding, much more low yielding in terms of grapes than you know a, a wine from Bordeaux that might be costing you know two hundred quid a bottle mm. so this was amazing and the reason why I thought that it somehow chimed with with this sort of depth in the book was it 's the idea of redemption through suffering that somehow you know this this thing that um, like when Frank is telling Ilse Brauchmann about Beethoven and he and about the Moonlight Sonata, and he says, "Because Beethoven knows, you see, he knows that you don't find peace until you've been to Hellenbach. And, and there was this mm. this feeling that these vines had really suffered; they hadn't been looked after. They'd, you know, come over from France, southwest France, where they also grow Malbec in the 1900s as immigrants and they just had been forced to fend for themselves. And through suffering, they had produced something mellow and amazing where the edges are rubbed off. You can't taste the tannin. Mm. Yes, it's, it's strong, it's, yeah. it's got alcohol in it, but it's also smooth, it's ripe. I mean, how do you get that out of a grape? The way you get, how do you get soul out of a voice? You know, no. you could say, how do you get a Dusty Springfield or, or an Aretha? Mm. Yeah. You know, we've all got a voice, but how do you make it that? And it's the yeah. same with grapes.
0: That's beautiful. It is. That is very beautiful. And uh, I'm, what do people think about this wine? Yes? No?
3: The
2: thing about Malbec, Malbec
0: when it's, I, it's
2: when it's very. Low yielding, and when it comes from a high altitude site, I mean, this is up in the Andes or in the foothills of the Andes, and you've got an extraordinary light intensity, you've got UV, and it brings out these floral violet notes. And if you just.
0: Definitely violets. Yeah, if you pause for a moment
2: and you have to almost do what they would. Frank was telling Ilse to do, you have to, or Peg was telling Frank to do, you have to lie on your. Actually, maybe not lie on your back, <laughs> but you have to sort of close your eyes and just let it, you know, let it be yeah. and smell it gently in your own time. And then these aromas start to come out and it probably, probably sounds quite pretentious, but, you know, you have to be a bit cont- contemplative
0: about stuff. I think, I mean, I, I, I think it's a really rewarding wine. It's not a wine that I drink a great deal of because I find it so intense. Mm. So I find that if I'm, if, you know, if, I, if I'm having it, I'm having it and there's nothing else going on that yeah. night, you know, and I probably will end up lying on my back. But um, <laughs> I, 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 I do find it quite, you know, it's quite big. I would definitely not drink this wine in the summer. I would, no. drink, it, I would drink it in the winter. No, it's a um, winter wine. Yeah, it's a winter wine. It's a
2: mellow wine. And I yeah, think it's a
0: mellow winter wine. It's... I love the colours. If yes. you look around the edges, you get a kind of um, wonderful. There's a sort of almost a magenta yep. um, or yeah. a violet around the edges. It's got great depth. Um, does it, I, I find I do find it can be too much though, for me. Mm. I, do, I do love it, but I do find that it can be a lot. Yeah. It's intense.
3: Yeah, yeah. It, it is, intense. Intense. It's like it book. is. It's intense. But I think
2: yeah. the, the I found that about the the novel actually, it's got so much emotion in it. So yeah. kind of. Full of this sort of stuff going on, it's almost too big for something like a delicate Pinot Noir, or. um, And anyway, it's. I think it's quite mellow.
0: I think what I might do is I might ask them to vote for the three, but then I'm going to ask you to choose the one that. That, all the that, that you would do, and then give your rationale for it, if that's Perfect. all right. Is that yes, right? Is. Okay, so um, Rachel is actually going to choose the bottle to go um, with her book, um, but before she does that, I thought it would be really enjoyable um, if we gave you a vote. This will be a non-binding vote, much like the Brexit <laughs> referendum, but with far-reaching <laughs> consequences. Um, so if, um, if you think that um, wine number one is the best pairing, not just the wine you like most, but the best pairing... Um, for this novel. Can you put your hand up? Wine number one. Okay. Um, and upstairs, I can't see quite upstairs what's happening. How many hands are up? Somebody else can count for me up there. And then wine number two, which is the Riesling. The Riesling fans are right into it down there. They're like, <laughs> hands straight up. I would say that that's just behind, would you? Yeah, yeah. I think it's just behind. Yeah. And then the, the Malbec, the, the third, that is by far the most popular. That is, what was that? What did you? Why is she? Why is she? Why is she scoffing? <laughs> two oh, hands. she two, uh, hands. two hands. My God, three samples of wine, and they're putting two hands up and cheating on the referendum. <laughs> um, okay, well then, I mean, I think it's clear your choice is the Malbec. But I'm um, Rachel. Which is which is your choice? Well,
1: I'm. I am inclined to agree because one, I really love that story that you told, um, and I think you know when you. Because we, we go a lot to a, a certain area of France, near to the Mont Ventoux, and we do a lot of wine tasting around there. And so part of the kind of joy of that wine is that I know the landscape. I have a re- we kind of have a relationship with the different vineyards. I know the light. And it means something emotional to me. Mm. So, so you telling me about that story... I. I kind of love that vineyard before we've even started. <laughs> uh, and I like, I actually, there's a part of me that actually, I think, yes, it is intense. Yes, it is full of stuff. Mm. And why, yeah. Why should we shy away from, from that? that? Yeah.
0: yeah, go with the intensity. So yeah. you're going for the Malbec. Yes. A round I am. of applause for that choice. Yeah. You're filled with that, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so um, we would now welcome your questions um, for, for any, any of the three of us about, any, about the book, about any of the bottles, or about anything else that you've got going on in your life that you just want to share.
3: <laughs>
0: anything you like, really. Anything that the wine might have made shift inside you. Um, and I think a man there, and then a lady there. I, I don't have my glasses on, so I'm taking a risk. Go ahead. Yes. Yes. Uh, just a point of information from the author. What was the Insomniac's Cure music? You didn't tell us what the... No. the
3: I'm sorry I haven't read the book, but it's I will. Bu-
1: it is in the book. <laughs> <laughs> and I will, honestly. No, but I'm going to tell you, I am going to tell you, it's, it's, very, it's kind of quite unlikely. Um, but it's a piece of music by a French Baroque composer called Perrotin. And it, the piece of music is Beata Viscera, <laughs> And the reason it is sublime, it lasts two minutes. And really, if you're not going to do anything else uh, you know, as a result of listening about the book, please listen to this piece of music. Because it is one female voice, and it goes up. It, and you think, this is just going too high. It's surely got to fall. Mm. And then it, it does. But then it goes so high. It, it is sublime. And the reason, I think, that it helped to sleep. Um, I might be wrong, because he's here, he can tell me later. But I think the reason that it helped is because it it says there's beauty, just mm. like the little piece of Maud. And I think when you know, you're reminded that there's beauty, and I think it is important to remind ourselves that there is beauty, you can let go.
0: Yeah. I have to say, I... I'd never heard that piece of music um, yeah. and, until I read about it, and I went away, and it is very short. It's so um, short. And, but it is astonishing and uh, timeless, and I think yeah. it's a piece of music that I will always listen to now. I, will, I don't yeah. know if I'll listen to it to make me go to sleep. Well, it's uh, different but for everyone, was not it? Was isn't very, it? it was, I mean, it was very tear-making. Yeah. I did feel quite emotional. I am often emotional, but I was quite emotional reading, listening to that. There was um, a lady there, I think. Yes, there's a microphone there for you.
1: Hello, Rachel. This is a question for you. Um, In your book, The Snow Garden, um, you write a really interesting foreword um, where you talk about um, characters who haven't made it into some of your books or you've you've left some of the characters out. Mm -hmm. Um, I just wondered, um, in your latest book, The Music Shop, whether there were any characters that that happened to, because you do talk about um, a character called Henry who was a rehearsal. Was he a rehearsal for Frank? No actually Henry was a, was is um, yes I used Henry didn't I in the short stories and no he he come he's the bank manager he would, he became the bank manager in um, in the music shop so sometimes they can change jobs the characters which is, <laughs> which is always nice <laughs> and Same in millennial. fact Harold Fry literally I was uh, uh, there was a period where um we'd be driving along and we would always see Harold lookalikes. Right. And then one day I was stuck in the, on the, um, that road coming into Cheltenham where I'm always stuck and uh, there was a van in front of me and as you said earlier, Harold has been in quite a lot of different um, languages but on the back of this van which was advertising stair lifts was a picture of Taiwanese Harold Fry. So I did think, well he's now gone and got himself a job doing <laughs> stair <sterilists. laughs> which, which seemed kind of quite likely. But I like the fact that, that characters can kind of, you know, keep moving. And Frank, for instance, when I started the book, I, I thought Frank was a very um, frail, young man. Mm. And I wrote him that way. And then something about the book, it just, it just kept... I just thought there's going to be quite a lot coming at this man.
3: Mm. And
1: I think for the reader, they are going to start worrying that he can't take it. So, you know, that's the brilliant thing about fiction is that you come next day down to your desk and suddenly Frank has grown about three feet yeah, and bare. put on loads of weight yeah. and really quite shabby. But it sort of worked for the book. So it was like he, the book could now take...
0: He's quite beery, isn't he? He he's, is very yeah, beery. Yeah, 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 he is. He's yeah. very beery. Um, oh, Frank. I'm Frank. <laughs> um, oh, OK, um, other questions, other, other thoughts, um, either about the book or about the... Yes, lady at the back? Oh, no, you've got a microphone. You don't need to project unless you want to.
1: Okay. I just wondered when you were looking for all the influences of the music, did you have to plough through tons of stuff or did you use your own repertoire or your favourites or how did you go about that? It's, a oh, it's a fascinating. It's a really thing. good question. I did. Um, as I said earlier, I'm not, I'm not a musician, so I kind of I knew I wanted to write about a man who knows everything about music and. Um, and then I thought, but I don't. Um, so then I thought, I've got to find out. So I read masses, listened to masses. And then what I ended up with, you must have heard this, is you have a notebook that is about Ugh. that big and a yeah. book that was about, you know, that big. And so then I thought, I've just got to throw all this away because I'm now trying to be, which is where that little passage that Rebecca came from, I thought, I'm trying to be something I'm not. I'm mm. now trying to be the kind of big, you know, no. So I just went back to what happens to me when I listen. And I did end up using a lot of music that means something to me, just in the same way in Harold Fry, I used people that I'd seen. You know, I, for me, it only really happens if I root it in what I know. Mm. So that was what I did. I mean, there, were, there was one time where I was convinced that in order to write the book, I needed to go to Mallorca yep. to see where Chopin had had stayed. That and sounds utterly
0: essential. It,
1: we did do that. It was a great holiday. <laughs> and, and you, guess it? What? you yeah, did yeah, it. we did. Of course, of, course you we did. did. It. of course you did. Of course we did. Yeah. And yeah. then I, of course, discovered that actually it, it couldn't really fit in the book. But maybe it will come in another book. Maybe I mean, I was going to say I don't, I don't remember out. that interlude. No, that doesn't it's happen. Not there. No. no. Okay.
0: No. But Nice holiday. Lovely holiday. Lovely, lovely holiday. And nothing, nothing is ever wasted in, in that context, I think. And no. it was Hilary Mantel who said that, you know, um, you, you, you learn it all and then forget it all. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. I think you lose nine-tenths of it. I'm in the process of editing a book just now which, which will be my first novel when it comes out next year, and... Um, you know, like you, you know, I, I, I've, I've learned all this stuff yeah, yeah. and I've found yeah. out so much interesting. You know, I could bore people for years about it and then in actual fact only tiny bits of it end up yeah. in the novel and yeah. it's never the bits you think. No. Never the bits that, no. that, that you think. So, no. but, but it
1: is part of the, of the kind of trick, the confidence trick that you have to pull on yourself mm. in order to be able to read, to write the book. You kind of have to make yourself believe that you know what you're doing.
0: Yeah. Yes, when you don't. Um, um, questions? Um, is that a question? Yes, over there. Sorry. Uh,
3: could I go over to the other side, the bottle bit? Yes. Yes, do bottles. Yes. Um, thank you. I enjoyed the stories and the anecdotes and the wines. Uh, I have three empty glasses in front of me. You Which was your
0: favourite? Were you a Malbec?
3: Uh, no, I went for the first one. You went for the first yeah. one? Okay. But anyway... Um, you mentioned a wine that I recognised several times. I just wondered why you were so critical. Forget the fact that my name is Mario.
0: Oh, okay, the Pinot Grigio. Pinot Grigio. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's because well, in my in my case, it's because the because I, I what I it's debased for the most part. I think most Pinot Grigio is just made too hastily and doesn't take any any interest in it as a grape or as a place, and it doesn't say anything about where it's from, and, you know, a, a lot of Pinot Grigio could be from Italy, it could be from Romania, it could be from France. It's, a, it's not distinct, so there are only a few places that are making good Pinot Grigio, I think. And, um, um, and you know, I have a couple of bottles at home, and I am always like to surprise people with it, because they're like, oh, it was, oh, it's got depth, oh, it's got flavour, and it's not just watery grapes. Um, is what I feel about it. But, I mean, I don't hate it. I just think it's not very good for the most part.
2: Yeah, I think it's a bit like an egg. As <laughs> okay. <laughs> the reason I think it's a bit like an egg is because the majority... Well, the majority of Pinot Grigios, in terms of, you know, bottles sold percentage, are like eggs from a battery farm. But mm. like a battery farm that's on, you know, the biggest baddest battery farm you ever saw in your life or could imagine. Um, And it's just, you know, hens being, in my sort of imagination, being pumped full of chemicals and pumping out this Pinot Grigio egg. And then you get Pinot Grigios that are made, you know, they're in a farm, they're in a little farm, Mm. they're stroked every day. You know, Mm. the hen gets to kind of coo over it for a bit. And then you get some really interesting Pinot Grigios that might come out of northern, northeast Italy, mm. or they might come out of, you know, um, Alsace or anywhere. But you really need to, I you mean, know, with with grapes, with you know, cooking, you know, you you have to sort of take time over it. Well, you don't with cooking. You can flash fry something; it'd be fantastic. But some grapes respond better to different treatments. Mm. But it's absolutely fine if you want to. You know, drink that sort of Pinot Grigio or, you know, a, not, or a, a, a G&T that's thrown together in a pub or a, an IPA, that's absolutely fine. You don't have to overthink stuff. Mm. But if you want a, a sort of more um, interesting wine, then you've got to buy better eggs.
0: Yes, this is very... I mean, that mixed metaphor was great. I, um, buy better eggs for better <laughs> wine. Brilliant. Um, go to work
2: I, on an egg. Go to work.
0: I mean, I I, I must say, I, I I keep chickens. I have three. So oh, I. Yeah, we should talk I lots about I you know my my, and my, my 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 eggs are like no Pinot Grugio you've ever tasted. <laughs> They're marvelous. Um, okay, we will um, we'll take probably one more question, I think, and then and then we'll we'll go to um, books and bottles, and the drinking of them outside. No? Oh yes, the man there. Sorry. Couldn't
3: see you, sorry. Could I just ask your opinion on French Malbecs? French Malbec?
2: Um, Sure. I think it's very interesting. Malbec came originally from southwest France and the heartland, as you you clearly know, and the heartland of it is the Appalachian uh, Caor, which is really remote in the middle of nowhere. But also there's Malbec in Bordeaux, and it was from there that... The Malbec grape was then taken to um, South America, where it was planted in, well, predominantly Argentina, but other places too. The interesting thing is that Malbec, in its heartland, in its original homeland, can be quite tough um, mm. and you know, huge amount of tannin in in the skins of a Malbec, and it can give quite tough tannic wines. But interestingly, the fact that it's been taken to Argentina, where you know, it's just made kind of flirty, juicy, quite rich wines a lot of the time, and given a kind of more modern treatment has mm-hmm. kind of made the Caor growers sort of, mm-hmm. you know, put their hands on the hips and say, "Well, hold on a minute, how has it suddenly got popular?" And so now they are making styles like the Malbecs, fruitier Malbecs coming out of Argentina. Mm. So these days in France there are traditional styles which are people will say are food wines. They're kind of more uh, um, you know, tannic, yeah.
3: they're
2: more savoury somehow, they really need that kind of food from down there, um, hearty food. Um, and then you, you get these fruitier styles as well. So there are, there are two sides to that these days. I,
0: I think that's very interesting when the new world sends a message back to the, back to the old one, that the French eventually catch up. Um,